Please note that the contents of model mentality are for informational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding your condition. Never disregard professional advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on model mentality. Hi, I'm Dr. Ali Sharma, a psychiatrist and mental health advocate. And I'm Bridget Malcolm, an international fashion model. And this is Model Mentality. We created this podcast to open up the dialogue about mental health in the fashion industry by exploring the lives of models through the lens of their personal mental health experience. Each episode, we will invite a leading fashion model to sit down to chat, going behind the visual imagery and what you may know of their external life to take a deeper dive into who is actually behind the mask and at the real struggles these models have faced. And in our Let's Get Clinical segment, I'll explore connecting the dots between our guests' personal stories and the larger mental health context. Because at the end of the day, we are all human and our struggles are universal. Hit the subscribe button on the podcast and tell all your friends about model mentality. Please note this podcast is strictly for educational purposes only, and please consult your own provider for any mental health issues you may be facing. Welcome to Model Mentality. I am Dr. Ali Sharma, and I would like to start by introducing who I am, what we are doing, and the why. First, a bit about me. I'm a clinical adult psychiatrist, and I've been doing public health and public psychiatry work for the past decade. Through friends of friends and a common network, I met Bridget, and after meetings exploring mental health among fashion models, we decided to create and co-host this podcast, which we are very excited about. Model Mentality is a podcast on modeling and mental health. The purpose is twofold. First, the initial idea for the podcast is that more education and discussion is needed for models on mental health, given the specific context of the fashion industry, including things like body image issues, eating disorders, and the overfocus on the external by virtue of the industry as opposed to the internal. Second, it evolved into a public health project for the general public because mental health struggles are universal. One of the things that I've learned in my career is that mental health does not discriminate, not against age, cultural background, industry, gender, socioeconomic status, and other walks of life. And we really need to talk about this in a relatable and savvy way. One in four people is affected by mental or neurological disorders at some point in their lives, according to the World Health Organization. Mental health issues are universal and common. When I met Bridget, serendipitously during the summer of 2019, I quickly realized that this is a start of a great partnership, an important dialogue to facilitate, and much, much more to come. Our hope is that you enjoy our podcast, that you learn something, and ultimately, we connect people on this important topic who are in need. I'm Bridget Malcolm, and I have worked as a high fashion model for half of my life. In those 14 years, I've experienced a wide variety of mental struggles, ranging from eating disorders to anxiety and beyond. At times, my mental state has left me unable to work and struggling to function during daily life as a human being. So I decided to start blogging about my experiences and found that there was a huge reaction from readers from all around the world. The level of connectivity I experienced once I began to speak up and open up really blew me away. And through this, I realized that my struggles were not unique. Everyone has a story, and the themes of these stories are universal. 
Through being open and honest around my mental health, I began to heal and to seek help where I needed it, and I'm thankful to be in a place of relative balance today. I hope that with this podcast, we can begin to address mental health and what that looks like in the fashion industry. In such an image-based industry, sometimes the interior gets overlooked. But whilst the specific pressures may be unique to modelling, the resulting mental struggles are universal. Within the fashion industry, I've really noticed a change in the past couple of years. The industry is moving to a place of openness and acceptance. Because at the end of the day, it is okay to not be okay sometimes. We are all human after all. What made you want to become a psychiatrist? That is a big question. <laughs> okay, so how, how I can start. From a young age, I always liked talking to people, right? And I also was drawn to different policy issues. And this is after university. I worked in Washington for uh, just under two years. And I found myself being drawn to those health conditions where behavior played a part in it. So... HIV AIDS, for example, where you can actually prevent transmission through educating people on different behaviors, harm reduction behaviors, or substance abuse. That was a, another area. And then mental health came up. Then I went to medical school because I was like, all right, I like the policy, but I also like working with the individual and I wanted to learn about medicine. So I did that. And in, the, in between, in the middle of my last two years, I took a break to get my master's degree in social policy because at that point I was so interested in the micro, the individual level, However, the macro was also my focus, and I was really interested in how a society takes care of its people, to make it very simple. So I studied social policy and planning at the London School of Economics. That led me to this field called post-conflict reconstruction. So thinking about societies transitioning from war to democracy and all the changes that that um, entails, and I really wanted to focus on the mental health piece in there. So it all sort of fit and I decided, all right, all of those policy interests plus like, I just like talking to people as opposed to physical medicine, which is a lot of examining, um, more focusing on the body rather than talking on the mind, but you obviously have to talk to patients in physical medicine. Um, yeah, I just decided to do it. It felt like a good fit for me. And I think I was always trying to help my friends, help people around me, but psychiatry gave me the tools to really help people, right, <laughs> finally, so that I actually could effectuate change. I imagine as a psychiatrist, you are dealing with a lot of people's, like, energies, a lot of people's issues. Like, what do you do to kind of keep yourself solid and grounded in through all that? I think yeah. about that a lot, actually. <laughs> I think that's a really good question. Self-care for everyone. Sleep. Sleep yeah. for me is the number one thing. If I don't have sleep everything starts to fall apart, right? Not just like mood, but I mean, just my tolerance for things. I notice myself getting irritable. I don't function as much. I need more coffee. And I just feel like sleep is so healing. You know, and actually as a clinician, I often, I mean, almost with everyone, check in about their sleep and make sure it's regular. Um, and there's no issues surrounding that because I just feel like it's really healing. Mm. So sleep is key. That's one. But then outside of that, I was an avid uh, yoga follower, and I found a technique called Kundalini, which has to me has been so powerful. It has this cleansing effect. Kundalini is a type of yoga where you use the breath and movement together in certain postures or in, in certain ways, and it feels cleansing, like it detoxes me of the daily maybe emotions that I might absorb or carry of people that I work with, you know, or daily stresses of my own and daily anxieties. It just gets rid of it. 
and my stomach feels better. And we know there's a lot of serotonin receptors in the gut that's linked to mood and anxiety. It does a lot of things. And I like back pain went away and other like pains and aches went away. So for me, I, even if it's like five minutes, I find a way to do Kundalini breathing at least. Um, but I used to also be an avid dancer, like jazz, funk, that kind of thing. And I follow this one teacher in New York City. Um, now I have two kids, so everything is much harder. That's a whole nother issue. But exercise is another and eating really healthy. You know, I think these are like basic things, but that keeps me in check. And I think the other thing is like, yes, I work hard, but I need to just hang out with my friends or loved ones or do other things or go get my nails done, right? Just other things that completely distract me. Yeah, what was it about models that kind of interested you to kind of pull at this thread and start interviewing models and the fashion industry in general? So there's a couple of things. <laughs> Did you perhaps have a... <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I know where you're going with this. Like, are you, you want me to publicly reveal this? <laughs> yes. Okay, okay. So the first thing, which I really, a lot of people don't know about me, <laughs> unless you come to my home where my parents live and look at the pictures on the hallway outside of my room <laughs> is that I was scouted um, in North Carolina at a ballpark when I was like 15 or 16. And so I did my whole modeling portfolio, fully invested in it. And at that point, I was like very nerdy and getting straight A's and I loved school. So I was applying to college and all of that. And, and after I did the portfolio, my dad was like, oh, actually could do this like this is really good so I'm going to leave it to you and you make the decision of what you want to do so I went you know for these meetings with this agency and they were essentially like you cannot go to college if you want to pursue this career and for me actually it was a no-brainer I was like I have to go to college and I thought I could do both at once but where I had chosen to go they wanted me to go to Europe to model or somewhere else some other market so I, it wasn't possible I, I never looked back, and I love those pictures hanging up in my parents' house, but I never looked back. And actually, until I met Sana and Max, Max then Sana, um, I hadn't thought about that part of my life. And so it tapped into something that, a path that I could have chosen, and maybe my life would have looked so differently. And as I started speaking with other models in your peer network, and in these gatherings that we would have, it made me realize what I chose to do, which was like education and build my career and what these models, some of them were talking about what they missed out on, which was that kind of normal mainstream developmental time of graduating high school, going to college, having that experience, perhaps if college was in the pathway or working, right? And many of them who had been struggling around the lost opportunity, right, of not going, for me, it just felt like, wow, this is actually really something important. And I, as a mental health practitioner, can help or add value here. And it was just like synergistic. So here I am. Cool. Yeah. It's very interesting how like different lives, how many different lives we leave at lead and how like they intertwine at random points in your life. Like I definitely keep experiencing that. Um, yeah. So can I turn to you now? Oh, boy. <laughs> so look, when I met Bridget, obviously... I'd heard from the network that you're a model who's interested and has been speaking on mental health. But immediately in speaking to you, I was like, this woman is smart. And fun fact, my IQ is very low. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, well. But my EQ is really high. It doesn't even matter. It's all different kind of smarts. You know? But meaning she's smart, ambitious, she has ideas, and she's so much more, right? And so I want to ask you if you could 
describe who you are, like in terms of your identity? How would you how would you do that? And that may be a really hard question to answer, so feel free to mill on that for a moment. <laughs> like what is identity? Yeah, what is identity? Um, <laughs> That's a question. But I don't see it as just so mm. there's yes, you're a model in the public eye. But I feel like you're so much more from me getting to know you. So what would you like people to know about you in terms of who you are? Um I feel things very strongly, and I used to view that as something that was a hindrance, but now I feel like it's a strength. I feel like empathy is a really important emotion that gets overlooked a lot in um, societies these days, and I think that that is important. Um, I love to read. Like, I read nonstop. Um, and when I was modelling, like, I mean, I am still modelling, but when I was really intensely modelling and even when I was had an eating disorder and was at my illest, like... I still made a point to read a lot and I think that that's been a real saving grace for me because it felt like when I got healthy and started living my life again, my brain was just like waiting for the, for the glycogen and waiting to like get back into it. Um, and so because of that, I like I'm studying in my second year of college. I, I, I guess I am technically an introvert, but so that I guess that a, a affects how like I relate to the world at large. Like I, I write a lot. Um, I don't know. I feel like I'm just a giant dork, though, really. <laughs> like, so I'm a nerd and you're a dork. Yeah, okay. pretty much. Like, I played the oboe in high school. It's like... And I played the clarinet. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> I love that. I played the clarinet as well. Yeah. Um, okay, but mine was much when I was younger. But, yeah, yeah. I, I played until I was, like, 21. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love yeah. It. Um, yeah, I love music. Uh, I love classical music. Like, definitely love it. Um, and for a second there, I thought I was going to be a classical musician. Um, and... I cut, sometimes I wonder about what could have been if I'd kept up going with the oboe because I definitely love it. It was like the very first time I think I ever experienced flow state. Um, I guess when I, I did ballet pretty intensely for 13 years as well. Um, but just that feeling of like your body is doing something that your mind is kind of not engaged in. Like I used to see colors when I play and like that is a really special thing that like you can experience. And I hope to find that in other avenues of my life beyond meditating because it's very rare I get there. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. And, you know, we haven't talked about this specifically, but I'd love to know, you know, one of the ideas we came up with, the concept you, you came up with was the concept of post-modelism. <laughs> and I, I don't know if you've thought about your career trajectory and where you want it to go, but let's say in 20 years, right, because that's a longer time off. What what do you see yourself doing? What would you have wanted to achieve? So in 20 years, I will be 47. And so I, what I want to do is finish my bachelor's degree. I'm doing it online out of Australia because I'm still modeling. Um, I want to study postgrad in either dietics or psychology. And then I really want to get into nutritional psychology because I think it's an absolutely fascinating world. Um, I want to have published a book. I've been working on a memoir for a while and it never quite feels right. Um, I want to, I'm still not sure if kids are in the picture, probably, must be, <laughs> you know. Um, and I think I'd like to apply what I've been learning in the fashion industry in terms of like the issues that we're exploring in this podcast and everything. Like I want to apply it to the world at large. Like I definitely have been very inspired by working with you and meeting you. And Likewise. <laughs> And I think I would love to kind of work to exact change on a higher, on a, a broader level, you know, like starting with the fashion industry, I'd like to, yeah, move out into the world at large. I love being a model. It's been such a blessing. 
like to be able to earn money and travel the way I have from the age of 14 has been incredible. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I personally would love to keep modeling until I am in a Zimmer frame. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I'd love to then, that's a good segue, to go back to modeling. Mm. And if you could look at the beginning of your career starting at age 14, what was the most shocking thing about starting at that age and entering into this industry? Like just general first impressions. Yeah, it was wild. Like I pictures of me at 14, I'm not what you'd expect. I've seen them. <laughs> I love them. <laughs> yeah, so like that was scouted and... Um, I think it was it was really strange entering into a room full of at the time they seemed like giants but in reality they're probably my age now you know um this room full of like people adults who saw something in me as like something that was special and something that was important like I grew up in a household where it was very much like you know you studied hard and we we it wasn't a lot of attention paid to the exterior which was a blessing, I think, because I kind of entered into this with like, what the hell is going on? But like, I remember my first shoot, I was, um, it was an editorial for Harper's Bazaar. I'd flown over from Perth um, and I was with, it was with my favorite photographer and still my favorite, she like taught me everything. And I remember just like this room full of people doing hair and makeup on me. And I like, I watched myself transform from this like teenager into this like androgynous looking like 60s girl and everyone was like wow it's amazing I remember being like what the f are you on about <laughs> I'm like I was in school yesterday like this is weird um and I think that was it like I was very stressed the first many many years of my um modeling career because because like it was overwhelming I didn't know what to do I didn't know I so I developed this like knee-jerk reaction whenever someone would ask for my opinion on like a photo or like between two looks, like I'd always go for the one that I didn't think was the right one because it was always what they wanted. <laughs> Fascinating. I know. So you had a different view though. Yeah, right? I was just like, my head was in a different game. Like oh. I, I loved physics. I wanted to be a nuclear physician. Uh. <laughs> and um, yeah. And I think it was also like, it was really wonderful in the early days because I was a very shy teenager. Um, I found it really hard to talk to people. Um, I had a lot of insecurities and... You know, I was never bullied, thankfully. Like, I have such a wonderful group of high school friends. Like, I went to an all-girls school and, like, they're still some of my closest friends. But to be able to, like, leave that school setting, go to a photo shoot where these people looked at me like I was something, and then to go back to school, like, pe people were interested in me and, like, wanted to talk about it. And that was really important, I think, for my development at that point because it just, like, it gave me something beyond myself to focus on in a way. Okay, so then let's fast forward. Let's say the last seven years of your career, you know, your 20s, right? Because you said 27. Um, so what have you learned that you think would be helpful for other models to hear? And that could be in terms of like mental health or just, you know, life lessons. Oh boy. Within yeah. your career. Within, for models specifically, I mean... I don't think there's ever a wrong time to get into therapy. <laughs> um, I think it's very, very important to draw lines in the sand that you will not cross. And, you know, because I've experienced this firsthand where I've been like, okay, I will not do this. And then I get on set and someone asked me to do it. And I felt like I didn't have a say in the matter. I felt like I didn't have a right to be like, no, not okay. Um, and you know, to set these boundaries and have people walk over them and push you out of your comfort zone 
it, it's a very disorienting experience and it's one that kind of it erodes at your sense of self and it can take a long time to bounce back from it. Um, you know, the models who I witness um, having the strongest sense of self and grounding are the ones who will refuse to go over what they have expressed as their okay zone. So in a sense, you're talking about setting clear boundaries yes. for yourself and following it and forcing it. Yeah, because it's like at the end of the day, like as a model, you're not like just a body that's been hired for the day. Like you're a human being and you have every right to your experience. Like you have every right to say no if you're not comfortable because there's not many other jobs where you would be pushed to do something like that. Yeah, and I would say that kind of idea is actually applicable to everyone. Totally. Right? <laughs> know yourself, know your boundaries. Awareness is helpful in that and in going to therapy if there are questions about what your boundaries are. Without yeah, a doubt, absolutely. yeah. And also, like, set, make the effort to set really healthy eating habits and exercise habits because, like, I have gone, I've undereaten and I've overeaten. And every time I'd undereat, I'd overeat. And every time I'd overeat, I'd undereat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it was just this awful merry-go-round that I was on for a decade. Um, and now I've, I'm, I think I just celebrated two years in recovery. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and in those two years, like, it's astounding, like, committing to eating properly eating healthily, covering all my nutritional bases, my body has settled at a size that I still have, like, I'm perfectly, like, I'm considered slim by today's standards and I have a modeling career and I, it's astounding to think that, like, if I just, you know, I mean, it's easy to hindsight, you know, but, you know, if I had just committed to eating healthily and eating enough all that time ago, I probably would have avoided a lot but, you know, eating disorders are much more than just, like, the way you eat. It's a full mental condition. So I was probably always going to end up here. <laughs> <laughs> so on that subject of eating disorders and body image, um, given that you, you know, are in the public eye and probably there's a lot of young people and people of all ages, but especially thinking about young people from a prevention point of view, young people who may be listening, um, what advice would you give them? Well, I think the most important thing I've ever done for my body image, my everything, is to embrace the idea of body neutrality. Like, I know that there's a big movement towards body positivity, and that's certainly a pr an improvement on body negativity. But at the end of the day, like, the biggest blessing when I decided to start eating healthily was the return of my mental health and re return of my brain power. And I realized that, like, my body is my house that I live in, but... That's kind of, and obviously I want to treat it well, I want to eat well, I want to exercise enough, not too much. But like, it's it's not, it's just a means to an end. And what's more important is your brain and the energy that you bring to your life. So for me, like, I don't look in the mirror and be like, oh my God, I'm amazing today. And I don't look in the mirror and go, oh my God, I hate myself. I just look in the mirror and I'm like, yep, we're in clothes, I can leave now. <laughs> um, and I think that that's been the most freeing because you, you just free up all this mental space that used to be tied into either hating or loving yourself. Whereas in reality, it's like, just exist. Um, and so I think like, if you adopt that mentality, there's no point comparing yourself to other people because my body is never going to be the person next to me's body. Like my experience is never going to be someone else's experience. It's just, it's mine. Um, and all that energy that goes into hating myself or loving myself can go into creating a business or studying or learning or reading a book or playing the elbow. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the person that's in charge of all the medical decisions in the country? So Chief surgeon? 
Right. That's a good question. So I guess <laughs> that's not the question. I guess what do you mean? Because really, individual doctors are like responsible. But like someone who for the medical ex- exacts change at a governmental level, like a policy level in yeah. the medical field. What are they called? Okay, so there is the chief surgeon general that's or the, the surgeon one. general. Okay, yeah, and there's other people, but yeah, yeah. That, one, that one would do. Yeah, if you were chief surgeon general, what three things would you want to change? So are we talking about mental health or health in general? Whatever you like. Okay. Probably mental health. Okay. <laughs> so I would love to see the democratization of mental health so that's, that it's accessible for all. And when I think all, I really, because I've worked in the public system, I, I really I see the two-tiered system that we have, or at least in New York, like private, a lot of private practitioners, and I have a private practice, versus the systems of care in place. And now all these startups emerging that are different design focused, but it would be so nice if it were really accessible to all. And that means all the insurance providers cover it for free or at low cost. How we get there, I know it's a big conundrum and people are working on that, but I would love to see that. I would also love to see, and I think there already is a movement and I've been thinking about it, more design focused mental health. I mean, look, we're sitting here in the Spotify offices, and I'm like, oh, could I have my private practice office right here because I know it'll be good for mental health and for the people, you know? Or this design here is just calming and soothing. Um, and then I think the other thing is really seeing mental health and physical health more integrated, right? Mental health is part of health; it shouldn't be separate. And you know, much of the work I've done is like trying to integrate mental health into primary care, for example. So I hope that. That's the direction that we can go in more and more. So that's not, you know, even a thought. Like, we we don't have to integrate because it is already integrated. Love it. Yeah. Preach. If you are in crisis or you think you may have an emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. If you're having suicidal thoughts, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-TALK. 8255 to talk to a skilled, trained counselor at a crisis center in your area at any time. If you are located outside of the United States, call your local emergency line immediately. What you have heard on Model Mentality does not represent what would take place during a psychiatric assessment or an actual therapy session. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Model Mentality. If you like today's content, please subscribe to Model Mentality or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. Model Mentality is brought to you by Mind Studios.